Welcome to Postatus Draft, the official podcast for Postatus, a website with news and information for WordPress professionals. Today we get a chance to hear from Scott Taylor, the WordPress 4.4 release lead. Joe and I also recap WordCamp US and talk about Matt Mullenweg's State of the Word. If you enjoyed this interview, you can get a lot more quality news and analysis from the Postatus Club multiple times per week. Check out our current club members, site partners, and join the club on our website at postatus.com club. You'll be joining more than 500 wonderful club members, and you'll never miss important WordPress news again. Today, I'd like to feature one of our partners, Optin Monster. Optin Monster allows you to convert visitors into subscribers. You can easily create and A-B test beautiful lead capture forms without a developer. Optin Monster allows multiple form types, uses exit intent technology, and has built-in analytics. Thank you to the team at Optin Monster for being a Postatus partner. Now here's our show. Hello and welcome to Postatus Draft. Uh, we are live from WordCamp US today, and uh, Joe and I are joined by Scott Taylor from the New York Times and also the 4.4 release lead. Hey, Scott. How's it going? And hey, Joe. Hey. It's me. <laughs> that's not normally how we do this intro, but that's okay. It's not. This is really, I don't have it in front of me to read off. So, you know, this is just uh, ad lib the whole way. <laughs> yeah, we're professionals. Absolutely. Uh, so, Scott, we wanted to talk about uh, WordPress 4.4 and also some of the stuff that you've been working on uh, with uh, some of the elements of 4.4. So tell us what it's like uh, being the release lead, first of all. Um, it's hard to predict what it's going to be like before you do it. Um, you know, as most people know, I've been contributing pretty heavily, I think, for like the past 10 releases. Um, so I'm used to the ebb and flow of releases. And, um, you know, I'm kind of I'm most aware of, uh, you know, how people, um, how it works, you know, how, like, you know, sensing activity through, like, track and, like, bug gardening and stuff. But um, the biggest difference when you're actually leading is that you, you can't, you know, it's kind of always around your neck. You can't go away. You can't really take a break from it. I mean, you can to an extent, and there is, I was able to find some balance, um, you know, between, you know, work and life. I'm always trying to, like, you know, take a couple hours each night and, and work on WordPress and then put it away and just, like, you know, hang out with my wife and chill. But uh, it was fun. I think... Um, my goal for leading into release was to make sure that regardless of who was around and working on it, I wanted to like be always creating a lot of activity. So I, I set some like commit goals and like track goals um, to where, you know, kind of metrics I had for myself where I, I thought we should have a certain number of commits each week and maybe like a certain amount of um, track tickets closed or something. It's an exact science because, you know, it doesn't always, you know, you could commit a hundred times and it may not always matter, but it's indicative of activity. When we uh, looked at some of the charts on track for activity, this release and past releases, uh, it was significantly more this release. So what are some of those milestones? Well, one of the first things I said, and, and what's the, the balance too you have to uh, maintain is that, you know, you're dealing with a lot of volunteers, so you, so you can't like dictate to people how much they have to contribute or how much they should contribute you can make suggestions but um one of the things i you know said at the beginning i said you know if te if there are 10 committers and we all commit one ticket a day or we you know, do one commit a day then in 10 days we'll have 100 commits right so that i was kind of like if we do that then you know in a month we'll have 400 or 300 400 and then multiply up by the number of months and we'll have you know a lot of commits right 
um, we got to the point at, at one point where we were doing like 250 commits a week, you know. And mm. I think what happened is just, uh, you know, I would, at the very beginning, I wanted to front load a lot of development. So what, what typically happens is people lay out the features they want to do in a release, and then whoever kind of shows up to work on them, that's, you know, that is what you know dictates what's actually going to be in the release. And the release lead isn't always like the number one committer or number one um, developer. You know, a lot of times it's more of a project management role. And there was that angle too. Um, the past couple of releases, I've been doing a ton of development, and so I tried to still do that a lot. Um, and the project management luckily took care of itself. I also had people helping me. And um, well, yeah, one of the really good things is that. Um, you know, Sergey and Dominic, who like officially named them deputies, they they kind of play that role in every release, whether they're actually um, whether it's signaled that they're in charge or not. Like, they do a great job of um, keeping everything sane and like spot checking what everybody else does. Um, there are so many times when somebody will make a change or have an idea or, or do something, and they're the first people to say, "Oh, did you think about X, Y, or Z?" They have such a um, huge grasp of the code base and also like a, a historical knowledge of, um, they've been around a long time. Um, so they know context and they also know, um, you know, they're both international. So there's a lot of times where they're looking at it from an IATN perspective in a way that it just doesn't come naturally to those of us who speak English. Did that also help just getting coverage kind of at all hours of the day? Yeah, and you know what, that's one of the, it's funny the things you like learn uh, from the experience, but, uh, Something I'd never thought about before is like what time the Australians are on, and uh, you know when we have a huge Australian contingency working on the project, and especially when they're um, you know it's Dion is one of the lead developers. Pento is a huge Gary Pendergast is a huge um, asset to the team, and there's times when you need them, you know, but you actually have to kind of um, coordinate when you're hitting them up because if it's 14 hours difference in time, I think it is, then at nine in the morning. It's 11 at night there. So you, you kind of have, you're either up at 6 a.m. talking to them and it's their evening, or um, I guess at our night, it's morning, you know, for them. When, when uh, you know, typically contributing to core, then it seems to be a thing that, at least when you're not doing it, you know, full time as part of your job, is something that you can kind of dip into and you don't have that big pressure of like maybe delivering a project similar to you would, you know, in your day job where you're directly responsible for that. I kind of get the impression when you're a release lead, you kind of take on that responsibility and it's now like you've actually, the bug stops with you, I guess. It, does, does it kind of turn into that level of like, now I have to be concentrating on this all the time and it has all my energy? Yeah, to an extent. And um, what's, what was hard too is that, um, you know, New York Times, it's, it's a fast paced environment there. And I'm, I'm working on a huge project there that I'm kind of the tech lead of. And, um, they're supportive of the WordPress thing, but they don't donate my time to it. So mm. it wasn't like I didn't, I didn't roll in and have you know free time from the New York Times. I had to kind of create it, in, you know, around the rest of my life. And um, it's true because what happens, you know, the, the luxury of not being the release lead but still contributing is that some annoying thing can come up on somebody else's feature. And you're like, oh man, that that sucks. I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. But it does. There, there is a buck stops here thing where, like, you definitely, you know, you don't have to be deeply involved with every um, everything that's being built. But you have to have an awareness of it, and you have to have a plan if things go off the rails. So you had a person in charge of 
pretty much every feature that you chose to focus on, yeah. right? Well, what what I was lucky with is that there were already some ongoing feature plugins, and um, I wasn't necessarily, um, you know, Matt's been evangelizing for a while doing features as plugins, and. Um, you know, I thought it was a fine way to develop, but I mean, I was always, you know, in track a lot doing bugs and, um, you know, I was very into like minimum viable product kind of stuff, but for these big features that are, um, brand new, um, I'll say yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah. for, sorry, for, I, for, sorry. for the record, Scott has just picked up his phone. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah I, I got a text message. Well, so we're in Philadelphia, and I, I do have to go back to New York, and uh, that was my ride, telling me like in 40 minutes. Okay. So we'll be done by then. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, but um, so I was saying, yeah, so features as plugins, um, these were well suited for it. Um, sometimes it can be annoying to um, have to hook into WordPress in strange ways support your um, trying out some new feature but um, responsive images they had their own little team um, and they you know I, I guess Joe McGill was kind of their representative um, mm -hmm. it was a variety of people working on it and I think you know Shredder Mike Schroeder um, was kind of the core team liaison there um, what were all the features as plugins so responsive images was definitely one um, believe it or not 2016 the theme was developed on GitHub so you could kind of view it the same way mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It, it came in the most fully formed. There wasn't a whole lot of crazy iteration on it. Um, the WordPress as an O-embed provider, like embedding posts and other posts, um, that was a feature plugin. The REST API, of course. But um, there comes a time for all those, you know, well the, well, the irony too is that, you know, there can be, you know, any number of feature plugins that are being worked on that actually have no, may not actually end up being something that goes in the core. Right. Yeah, but you kind of uh, audited where all of them were and tried to figure out how to prioritize well, them. Well, yeah, so what I right? did is um, at the beginning of the release, I, I kind of made my own little um, GitHub pages site where I had, like a, so number one, so I could share with other um, core team people. And I'm like, here's my backlog of things we can probably work on. And I wanted to have so many things that if some fell off and weren't, um, we, we didn't make it, it was fine because we had a whole bunch of other stuff. I was also afraid that if the REST API didn't make it, people would be kind of bummed. So I wanted to have a bunch of other things um, mm -hmm. and, you know, there to like pick up. And um, I didn't know what was going to make it, but I just wanted to, to, I wanted to kind of know that like if we started thinking that, oh, this release isn't that cool or it doesn't have uh, enough stuff, I kind of had something, a well to like pull from. Um, and kind of shovel-ready projects, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. In, in terms of the, you know, all of 4.4, obviously a lot went in there in terms of features as well and a good amount of, uh, you know, enhancements to the, the existing features, like the term meta maybe would be, be part of yeah. that. Just on a, a typical kind of release cycle, how much, uh, you know, in, in terms of, I mean, maybe not lines of code, but just effort is concentrated on, would you say, like feature plugins and those being merged in versus improving the existing WordPress API internally and all that kind of stuff. Right, so I think um, it's quite possible there could be a release that has no feature plugins that are suitable, and all we do is kind of like what you might call maintenance. Mm -hmm. But actually, what, I think what happens is uh, the zen of bug gardening, actually the, what we should work on kind of reveals itself. Um, and it's one of those things, it's an inexact science, but if you look at a component and it has 200 tickets, it's being neglected and there's probably some stuff that needs to 
so like uh, you kind of want you, what's that? <laughs> is that where comments came from this time? Yeah. So like uh, you want to kind of find hot spots of like there's a bunch of activity and we're not paying attention. For instance, you could decide that you want to work on nothing but cron, but cron has only like 18 tickets, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that's something actually would be good to work on just to try to make it feature complete and then perhaps like completely rewrite how it's, uh, it should work. But like for comments, yeah, I was going through, you know, seeing what there was. I'm always looking for low hanging fruit of stuff to work on. And I realized there were some like terrible bugs with comments. And um, I was reading the tickets and when you do some basic testing, like for instance, the, the comment counts in the list table. Mm -hmm. They weren't even close, right? <laughs> so I spent a bunch of time, you know, and it was the kind of thing too, like it was like, some, I think it was some Friday night and I was, um, I came home from work, you know, put on my comfortable clothes and sat down and I was like, tonight's going to be WordPress night. And um, I saw like how much I could plow through. Because what I wanted to do too is I wanted to close as many tickets as possible. I wanted to fix as many bugs as possible. I mean, it's it's always the um, goal that you're trying to you're trying to fix as many bugs as possible, close as many tickets as possible, so you can move on and do cooler stuff, mm -hmm. right? And some of the times when you find these bugs in track, it's horrifying. So um, we started working on that, and then like I didn't realize. I mean, I, I had a vague sense uh, of how comments worked, but then when I saw how they actually worked in core, I'm like, this is really bad. And so I made some example posts with um, like half a million comments, and I'm like, I'm gonna figure out how to make this work. Um, so yeah, we, so we started working and there was also like the, uh, you know, we've talked for a while about like strongly typing some of the models, like the database stuff, which is just good practice. And, uh, I was like, what will it take to do WP comment? Um, and then while we were working on it, um, so I was, I, I kind of did a deep dive on some of this stuff and then I, I wanted to work on other things or had other things to work on. So I asked Boone to like take over. Um, the, like I think the ticket was like seven thousand eighty one or eight thousand seventy one. Wow, that was the one that was uh, basically if you had a post that had five thousand comments, WordPress was querying every comment every time and using the comment walker to paginate. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, and it sounds ridiculous nice. for a post to have five thousand comments, but stuff like that exists out in the world. No, it, it exists, and like <clears throat> this is like, and what's what kind of sucks about this though is we had. Um, as a user experience, there's no way you want 5,000 comments on a page. Mm -hmm. And also, it's um, a huge load, right? And tons of markup. Um, so what we tried doing, my, my suggestion was that <clears throat> if uh, you decide that there's like, there's like a threshold, once, once comments get past a certain point, I was trying to force pagination so that comments would all, so that way it would always scale. The problem there is that um, comment permalinks are very strange. And, they, and comments actually don't have permalinks. Comments are bound to a page number, right? Hmm. And this is a whole other mess. I never knew that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like, what happens is that <clears throat> um, you'll you'll be on a certain page. So if you're on page two of of the comments, um, your particular comment is identified by a hash, and um, you always have to be on page two. So what happens? Even if you change the, there's a ton of toggles in. Um, the admin for dealing with like threaded, non-threaded um, comment, like comments per page, et cetera. Yeah, the irony here is that like some of those I think break if you toggle the settings around because you know if you have ten comments per page and then you have this permalink where you're on page two, what happens when you change to hundred comments per page? Right? There's a lot mm -hmm. of like weird UX things here. So um, the force pagination idea allowed comments to scale kind of infinitely, 
right? Because whenever it got out of hand, um, you know, we would force pagination. And the thing is, too, there were some, um, the comment uh, query itself had not really gotten any um, TLC ever since it was written. And so if you go back and look at the history of, like, just that class, I mean, it was basically written by Scribu. I'm, I'm assuming mostly by Scribu, and nobody's taking a second pass at it. So there's a lot of things that happen in WP Query, and there's a lot of improvements we've made in WP Query, um, just to caching and different um, different things that make them more performant or makes it a more robust API. That stuff never transferred over to WP Comment Query. It's same for um, WP User Query, and it's also the kind of thing that um, you know in modern PHP and object-oriented programming. What th these things actually should either extend a similar query class, or they could have traits that. Um, you know, port this functionality across the board. Right, I know for like specifically working with the REST API and trying to make them consistent on the listing of all the, you know, listing comments, terms, users, and posts is like, like you say, it, it reflects internally that it's not consistent in WordPress core because it's difficult to make that consistent at the API level too. Yeah, and, and the thing is, um, <clears throat> I, people shouldn't fear changing this code because, I mean, honestly, when this stuff was originally written, these queries, um, these query classes, it wasn't like they were the platonic ideal. I mean, they were much better than what previously existed right. at the time. And um, a lot of this was that there was just kind of some horrendous procedural code that got turned into like these um, light classes that you know could abstract some of this um, SQL generation. But um, yeah, we could we could easily take a pass and be like, all right. Um, WP query has useful arguments for X, Y, and Z. Does WP comment query is it is it have parity or not? And it's also like, um, I mean, WP query is due for like a serious, like, I don't know if I want to say overhaul, but like, I actually do want to say overhaul. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the get post method alone is like 800 lines or more. It might be 1,000 right. now. Actually, we've added so much inline documentation, it could be like 2,000 lines. And um, it, is, it is absolutely what people refer to as a God object. And it does, it, it could be broken up into a variety of different things. Um, so this is just a deep dive into comments, and but it's indicative of kind of a lot of different parts of the WordPress code base. Oh yeah, because well, that's the thing too is um, yeah the reason an idea like you know you know I was well suited to do some of this stuff is because you know once you know the whole code base, you don't just, you don't really have a keyhole view of like these. I mean yeah it's like it's comments as a feature, but mostly the problems with it were PHP and scaling and like SQL generation and like uh, incomplete API, right? So it's really approaching it and being like, what's the, what's the bigger problem here, right? Because some of those bugs were just because um, com uh, caching around comments in general is actually bizarre. And uh, believe it or not, comments uh, is a non-persistent cache bucket as well. Hmm. So uh, that's something we actually, we need to make it persistent. So like, from page load to page load, it's querying the comments every time. Right. How much of a benefit was it um, being a release lead that does have that understanding of the larger code base? Because you mentioned about not having fear of changing something. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people, they're kind of afraid that if they change something, it's going to break 12 other things. So well, the, how important so, was so that? The other piece to that is um, I've been working on unit tests a lot for the past couple of years. And I wasn't... Um, you know, the unit tests themselves have existed for a long time, but it's like um, there was a lot of comment stuff that had no unit tests. So, if you have, if you write unit tests, 
and you kind of um, spell out what your assumptions are. Um, and you, a lot of times, unit you know, test two, you're like, here's how this thing is supposed to work, and here, let me assert that these values are what we expect they are. A lot of times when you write the unit test, it exposes the bug. So you'll write unit tests first that actually fail, mm -hmm. and then, then you can go into the code and make the changes that make them pass. And then you have a much better case for explaining why you did it, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you can point at the unit test, and it's very hard to argue with at that point. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. On, on the unit test, what's your kind of overall, uh, you know, assessment of, of, of where we are right now, you know, uh, in terms of like, I'm guessing like the coverage isn't huge and there's a good amount of tests that are like the test suite is quite slow. They're not incredibly isolated, but, but maybe they don't need to go in that direction. But do, do you see there needs to be a good amount of work there or do you think we're doing pretty good on the, on the I testing front? I think we definitely need to, I think we can do both at the same time. We can continue doing what we're doing, but I think structurally they are a little bit of a mess. And like we've added mm -hmm. a bunch of ad hoc things. I mean, it, in between every test, the setup and teardown alone, right, is just kind of insane. It takes a while. Yeah, but it's uh, what's the coverage right now? Coverage, if I was guessing, I'd say forty or fifty percent. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, don't quote me on that. I have no idea. But uh, <laughs> you just quoted yourself. I quoted myself. But, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, oh, it's, it's the radio. I forgot. No, um, <laughs> but that's the kind of thing I would like to you know spend some time on. if I don't have something else that's burning uh, burning desire to work on something else like I'll sit down and like just write a bunch of unit tests and like because there's some things like that could actually have 100% coverage like you could go into like a component or go into uh, a certain file and see which functions have no unit tests at all and just write a few for that and the thing is too is you don't have to um, write a complete test suite for everything you can just write a few things um, and it's, it's, it's better than what we have, especially for stuff that's missing unit tests. Right. You know? So let's uh, dive into uh, a different part of the development cycle, which was some of these features of plugins versus uh, components. Um, this is a convenient time to talk about the infrastructure of the REST API yep. coming in, because Joe, you were uh, one of the leads on, on that project, and you know the two of y'all worked together on getting this infrastructure component in. So. Uh, just kind of walk us through how the two of y'all and uh, Ryan and Rachel and Daniel went from having a pretty well uh, developed version two of the REST API and then deciding to put uh, to put version two infrastructure into core. Like, I mean, what's that? What was that process like? Um, yeah, I, so I guess from from having from the point of of um, hey, I think yeah. We'll add this out. I'm on a podcast right now. I'll be done in a little bit. I think we should leave it in. I think we should <laughs> leave it too. in too. Sorry, still a bit. All right, all right. It's my wife on me. No, that's good. Yeah. Uh, so, so from going from having a feature plugin, you know, we we obviously saw the separation between the infrastructure and the endpoints anyway, and I think uh, the the idea that they could go in separately has been around for a while. I'd say there's a good amount of, um, I don't want to kind of say back-channeling because it, it sounds like a bad thing, but, but uh, conversation around, you know, realistically, can we actually get this in kind of thing, you know, making out sure everybody kind of agrees on principle that that's a good idea. Um, in terms of the logistics of doing that, uh, so Ryan, excuse me, Ryan McHugh is given commit access really to handle a lot of that stuff from my understanding. Um, and we pretty much, over the space of a few hours, split out the core infrastructure into a separate repository that was given for feedback from the core team 
so it could review all of that if wanted in, in isolation from the rest of the API. Uh, and then um, with a bit of iteration, I think at a similar time, then the core rest, uh, the REST API component was made on track, which was going to be used to track any stuff going forward once this had been merged in. Um, and then uh, once once we were, you know, that, that was kind of waved okay for commit, then Rhyme Q committed it, Fatal Trunk did another <laughs> commit, Fatal Trunk again, and then <laughs> oh, yeah. did another commit, and then it, then it was in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, splitting up the REST API, that idea has been around for a while. I think even a year ago, because um, New York Times has actually been using it for a long time. We use version one, um, and I remember Matt, there was some WordPress VIP event, and uh, he and Paul Miguel were at the Times the next day, and we were chatting, and I mean, a year ago, it, it seemed like it was like we needed to get this in, mm -hmm. right? We, oh yeah, we, 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 waited for, <laughs> we waited for so long, and uh, I was like, I, I don't think he got this idea from me, but I was like, you know, we could spend, you know, a year on any one of these, like, you know, set of endpoints, mm -hmm. you know. But I'm like, I think it, I thought it was a great idea to do just the infrastructure stuff first. Um, Mainly, it's a selfish thing. A lot of the stuff I, I want to build or am building doesn't actually need to be a client. Doesn't mm -hmm. actually need to do. I'm doing a lot of custom stuff. And um, for instance, I think it's a great um, tool for Select2. You know, anything that's like yeah. admin AJAX is so much better with uh, these REST endpoints. So, how is the infrastructure being in now, but the uh, endpoints uh, being still in a pending state? The infrastructure is now going to be under the REST API component, but the endpoints are still kind of a features as features plugin. So, what? How does it change core development moving forward for the REST API? Yeah, so it basically means that if you want to change anything to do with infrastructure, you need to file track tickets and uh, for committers commit to SVN. But there's a line of separation that's clear enough for doing um, that. For for contributors coming into using the REST API, uh, that may be an issue. It just in terms of us directing from GitHub. GitHub is, is still the primary uh, place for people to come in, learn about the REST API, things like that. Uh, so I fully anticipate um, plenty of, of um, tickets to come in there that are actually related to uh, the, you know, the, the need to go into track. But at the moment, then, uh, pretty much the REST API team is handling creating those issues and fixing them on, on, on track and going that route. But to be honest, the infrastructure has a very low churn and has done for the past year really or or well not, not probably not that far um most of the churn is around bugs in the endpoints or modifications things like that yeah and v2 is a massive upgrade um like much better kind of across the board i think is this yes is, as, as especially from yeah from the developer perspective of creating your own custom stuff i think it's kind of night and day on the client side um you know there, there's i think it's a little more consistent now uh, but it, it's probably not going to be fundamentally different. So if you're a client using V1, upgrading to V2 is actually going to be pretty easy, whereas it wasn't quite that easy. I think uh, um, Scott will attest to you know upgrading V1 endpoints, custom ones that you've made to V2 isn't the smoothest process. It's Yeah, it's a little nuts, but it's worth it. Um, it's just that like the project took a pivot, um, I think, in the right direction, and you know, based on like a, you know, a massive amount of feedback. Um, so I mean, well, it's it's a moot point now because if you've never built anything, you're just gonna have the the best version. Um, and I don't think there were a ton of people that made V1 REST stuff. I mean, there were some, 
But um, and it still works. I mean, we I didn't upgrade all the New York Times stuff. I just didn't have the bandwidth to go. Yeah, in. yeah. It's worth mentioning that if you are using V1, there will be a path forward for you. So it's not a you have to rewrite all of your stuff. I would just V the the main difference fundamentally with V2 is you're typically uh, defining a. a actual abstract data model for all of your stuff which can be reused elsewhere the v1 was a lot more procedural and it was difficult to uh you know in, infer a lot of stuff with v2 you can uh pull all the schema through the api so you can build uis a little easy on top of it and reuse it a lot easier so recommended so what's a uh, feature in 4.4 that we haven't talked about but do you think uh deserves some sweet radio time you know good question um we did a lot of super old tickets. Um, one, I think it was 1718 or 1780 something, which was like, uh, or it, I'm, I'm making that up. It could be 1800 something. <laughs> but, uh, put, put that number in perspective for us. What is the current track ticket number? Like 35,000. Okay. 000, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so like, this is like way back in the day. But um, it was about making pretty permalinks for unattached attachments. Hmm. So it was kind of a strange. Well, attachment permalinks themselves are kind of bizarre. Um, because if you, you know, we call them attachments, but like media is kind of just an object. It's like kind of a post object. But if you upload certain media to a post, um, your URL for that is actually the post URL. And then there's a kind of a mask at the end, which is the post name of the attachment. For unattached attachments, or media as we call it, um, <laughs> it's just the post name. So it's the exact same as page, or if you have, um, if you have post name being your rewrite structure, mm -hmm. um, they're all the same. Because actually internally, um, everything, if it doesn't match a rewrite rule, just is assumed to be a page or something. What we do is um, we then check the post type and we set some flags in WP query so everything works properly. Um, this is actually possible, I mean, this is, I guess, old for a lot of people. Back in at WordCamp San Francisco in 2011, because uh, it used to be that there were huge um, performance implications. Categories and slugs. Yeah, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and I, I can't remember what the solution was. It's something nuts in rewrite, but uh, that Andy Skeleton and Otto worked on. Mm -hmm. But it made it possible where this wasn't a big deal anymore. Yeah, it used to be a big deal if you uh, put your permalinks on your posts in a certain way. Like, it was much more performant if you had, like, an ID in there at the beginning or some kind of static word because the way it prioritized, because if it was just a flat structure, like pages, then the posts would just kind of blow up. Yeah. Um, but other than that, uh, little things like, let's say you have a bunch of JPEGs and they are numbers, like let's, they have numbers in them at the end. Mm -hmm. um, there comes a time, you know, especially with testing, where you may upload the same image again, and it would just append a number at the very end with no dash. Now there is a dash. Okay, <laughs> so it was actually almost impossible to know that you had a duplicate image because it was just the one be up against some other number. Yeah. Um, outside of that, we did a lot of hardening with um, post type parameters, where they, they were these super vague things like show UI or publicly queryable. Mm -hmm. That it wasn't. Um, we weren't necessarily explaining really well. We're enforcing what they mean. Show UI means you, you have an admin screen. Right. Okay. Um, publicly queryable means you can view it on the front end. So I wrote a function called is post type viewable, which will figure out if you can actually see the post on the front end. Here's the really big kicker here is that um, page 
I don't know why, has publicly queryable equal false. <laughs> and so uh, the reason the function is needed is because uh, you basically do if, you know, type publicly queryable or built in and public. Because page is public, but it's not publicly queryable. Huh. So that's, that's for page. So it, and we, we know there's a uh, small set of built-in post types. So we can just you know, fudge the logic there and know that for pages, it's fine. Like, so, so, so pages don't follow the paradigm of publicly queryable equal to true to be in the front end. But um, so doing this, I don't know if it's going to break people's sites, but uh, now they'll have the expectation that like when they set these things, it means something. And most of the time, people don't set this stuff. They just set public equal to true, and everything defaults to public anyways. Um, but a lot of plugins uh, utilize these parameters for uh, kind of hidden post types and stuff, right? Yeah. So uh, you got on the state of the word uh, yesterday, a little cameo. Um, how is your WordCamp US experience different than past WordCamp San Francisco experiences now that you're the lead developer, uh, what's I mean, just what's the difference of being an event like this? Well, it's just like a much bigger event. Um, WordCamp San Francisco has been pretty good, but like this was like a much more active event. There was just tons of stuff happening all the time, <clears throat> and it really felt like the national um, event. Mm -hmm. Like you know, like mm -hmm. San Francisco is a de facto kind of like um, WordCamp US. It's mm -hmm. kind of always been the canonical WordCamp is what I usually call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is a. Uh, I thought it was good. How did you like it? I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, and then personally for you, and I guess we'll end here so that you can catch your uh, catch your ride back to New York. Yep. Um, personally for you, uh, what does it look like now? I mean, you've been going like what looks like 300% to me. Yeah. Uh, so what are, what are future releases going to look like for Scott Taylor? Well, the good thing is that... Um, we never see him again. We're gonna, <laughs> yeah, we're going to release on Tuesday. And, um, off into the woods? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to take the rest of the month off. But yeah. um, I never know what my activity is going to be. Um, I either, like, get excited about working on something or I... I you know, I don't... I like to um, invest in myself. I like to, like, spend time... Uh, programming and learning in you know, my free time. Um, yeah, you're learning a bunch of Node stuff right now, right? Yeah, lo I'm loving Node right now. But um, yeah, I just always it's it's kind of like a hobby to me too. Mm -hmm. It's like oh, like, and also like once you have commit access, it's kind of nice to like. I, I guess you feel somewhat of a responsibility to like move the project forward. Um, but I also like I like being aware of what's happening. I also like if there's things that are annoying me, I like I, I like to be the one that goes in there and like you know fixes it. And, I don't know. I really don't know, um, release to release, how much I'm going to be active. You know, in 4.3, I felt like I wasn't even there at all, but I was still the number one committer, mm -hmm. you know. And Constantine was, did, felt like I wasn't there you, at all. Was that was, when you obliterated Extract from WordPress? That was in 4.0. Oh, okay. 4.0, I had like 650 commits. <laughs> yeah. But um, How many commits were in, are in 4.4? Uh, overall, like 2,000. Wow. And I probably have five 600. So. And uh, slated for release, like... Tuesday? Tuesday, yeah. Which this will be out by then, I think. Yeah. Um, so where do people find you and follow you and do all that? I mean, Wonder Boy Music is my name basically everywhere. Um, I don't blog ever. But, oh, you uh, do? Dude, you, I mean, your blog on like the first draft thing at the New York Times was great. It's a great place for people to learn about some yeah, fancy I mean, WP query stuff. So it's infrequent, but it's yeah. pretty good when it when every, it comes yeah, Every once in a while, I do kind of like this huge brain dump, but like... 
Um, maybe I'll get around to doing some more of that. I'll also, like, with the Node stuff, I've had a lot of things I've learned about, like, Node, I think, preaches some terrible best, best practices. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying that was to, an air quote. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I've, been, I've been trying to um, figure out, like, what's the best way to do some of this stuff? And I think um, I, I want to do some writing around that, like, my thoughts around it, because I actually want to get some feedback from other Node developers where they may say, oh, no, do this X, Y, or Z. It's also, there's a lot of confusing things um, in Node that, like, I'm not really sure how, like, beginning programmers grab some of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it, it's almost impossible to know when you're doing something right or not, so you kind of have to just, like, stick to your values there and, like, I don't know. It, it's a strange experience, but it's rewarding once you get stuff working. It's actually, it's pretty awesome to be writing, like, you know, full-stack JavaScript apps. Um, so that's kind of, like, my side thing I'm into right now. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I know a lot of people worked on 4.4, but anybody in particular you want to give like a special shout out to? Um, for all the progress on track, I think Chris Kristoff was a huge, huge asset. Um, I mean, really, you know, I was trying to be real active, and then like, you know, John Blackburn and um, Sergey and Dominic were kind of right there next to me, and that was super helpful. I mean, you know, a lot of people are around a lot. I mean, Gary Pendergast is always doing a great job. Um, I'm glad that feature plugins all made it, and so the people were very active in like um, getting that stuff mm-hmm. in, to, um, getting it ready to be merged. Um, yeah, so I didn't really, I did a lot of the um, maintenance type stuff, I did a lot of programming around that, but there's a lot of other people who were like, you know, helping me out by like, you know, being active and pushing those features forward. Yeah, and help make the big features happen too. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Okay, so that was Scott Taylor, uh, the release leader 4.4. He, uh, we just mic'd down for like two minutes, so we're still. Same conversation. Yeah, same conversation. No Scott. Minus Scott. <laughs> <laughs> no music. Um, right. So, Joe, we're uh, at WordCamp US, and uh, last night was the State of the Word. So, why don't we start there? What did you think overall yeah. of Matt's State of the Word? I, I was, um, well, even before the State of the Word, I, it was actually, I was really looking forward to it, and I didn't usually look forward to it, so I'm not sure why that was. Did you I, know that there was going to be some uh, human-made I did. Dropping? I did not know. I knew that... Um, I mean, really, you were like one of the key stars. Of, yeah, to uh, be honest, uh, I had sev- several features in that state of the world, <laughs> so but, but I didn't know that was let's coming. Let's just break down where you were part of the state of the world. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So um, Nomad Base was featured as a REST API project. Yes, yeah, so, well, the REST API, that, that's, the REST API is what I was kind of interested in, I guess. You know, this is the first time that there's been a major feature that I've been heavily involved in. Mm-hmm. merged into core so uh I, I guess i was excited for that i think like uh me and matt have been chatting a bit about just like the you know api and like javascript and that kind of stuff um so i just thought that it was you know going to be interesting really um and it's it, it's often just a kind of reel of stats that most people you know in the community already know anyway mm-hmm. um but I think the if, if the state of the word can um, serve one purpose, it is clearly communicating the direction of WordPress to the wider community rather than um, you know uh, telling everybody that is working on it or there, which is more what the community summit has been. You know what what's happening. That's not incredibly useful. But um, Matt obviously has the platform to go a lot uh, wider than than everybody else that is speaking. So though there may have been a lot of talks here around. Uh, you know, the um, kind of REST API stuff and, you know, JavaScript specifically and learning JavaScript by Matt saying it comes with a lot more weight and it's also done in a lot more coherent, professional way, I guess. Yeah, and he really went beyond just saying, 
uh, the REST API is cool and we're going to be able to do a lot with it. And he talked about kind of the uh, the core values of APIs and for an open web and like what all that means. Oh yeah, I, he he went full in in terms of um, you know um, how how important APIs are. PHP's role primarily as a API provider and, and, and templating layer, which it, it currently is, but he kind of uh, did, didn't address that much. Um, so so PHP seven being a very strong part of of the future of WordPress because uh, WordPress is is likely to be. API driven via PHP for a long time, um, but then also, you know, the the strong. Uh, he, he's a firm believer that JavaScript is the full future of the web, and all interfaces will be built that way. And he gave everybody homework in that regard. Yep, yep. For anybody that didn't watch it, I think most people probably have. But the homework was go and learn JavaScript. And quite, I think, quite importantly, is uh, you know, he had a, a a deeply caveat there because learning JavaScript can be learning jQuery, and that is not what we're no. really talking about for the future of WordPress. We're talking about becoming a JavaScript programmer and understanding quite fundamentally that rather than the typical, how do I write this in JavaScript as if I was to write it in PHP? It's going beyond that and kind of uh, uh, really using, using JavaScript uh, across the entire platform. Right, exactly, and um, understanding uh, at, at, at a deeper level, I guess, really, what you can do with language. Uh, as far as some announcements that Matt made as well, uh, we learned who the release leads are going to be for 4.5, 4.6, and 4.7. Um, so 4.4 just dropped, so that's what the interview we did with Scott. And Mike Schroeder, uh, Schroeder is kind of his handle, yep. is leading 4.5. And then uh, D uh, Dominic Schilling for 4.6, and then Matt himself uh, for 4.7. And four, for time reference for people, these are roughly uh, four-month cycles, so Matt will be leaving, leading 4.7. That'll probably be slated for release around this time next year. Yeah, so that, that's the kind of year, year's worth of you know doling out, I guess, on on that front. Um, interesting to see that Matt is leading one again. Um, yeah, last one he did was uh, 3.8, right? Yeah, with the MP6 mm -hmm. uh, drop. Um, so that's cool. I think uh, you <laughs> a couple know, people asked like. What does that actually mean when Matt leads a release? <laughs> yeah, to to be honest, um, my take, and I'm, you know, I, I obviously don't, don't know completely, um, is is that you know Matt is a great person from the user uh, experience angle and and what problems mm -hmm. are we actually solving rather than focusing on technical features. So yeah, it, it well, should and be good he's to have the that. CEO of Automatic and doing a lot of. Uh, advocating on behalf of WordPress and stuff, so it's not like he doesn't have anything to do. Oh, no, uh, no, but I think in terms of what he'll deliver will be primarily about, uh, you know, user flow and, and perception and things like that. Right, uh, but he'll be a different the, he'll be a different type of release lead than Scott or some of the others. Because oh, absolutely. It's going to be more from a vision standpoint and, you know, running meetings and, and, and right, wrangling yeah. if, if, if I had leading a, features. Right, if I had to hazard a guess, then I would say that there is going to be more deputies, you know, taking the lead on that technical stuff. Yeah. Um, in addition to the three release leads, we have uh, seven new committers. My post says six. That's pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> so, Issue a correction. Oh, six new committers in 2015, and seven new committers were announced. Um, so right. he, he highlighted the six that have been added so far in 2015, and then uh, seven new people. Uh, this is again where, where you got a little shout out, um, but Mike Schroeder, Mel Choice, uh, Eric Lewis, you, uh, your name is Joe Hoyle, <laughs> uh, Rachel Baker, 
uh, Pascal Birchler and Michael Erstad. Um, one yeah, of the it's a great group of people. Yeah, and one of the if things. I say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that uh, I thought was interesting here is uh, two of the new committers are um, people that are, are certainly, um, I mean, solid enough from a development standpoint, but they are primarily designers, uh, which is Mel and, and Michael, um, and that was pretty interesting. And then yeah, that's that is interesting. Definitely. And I think that's really good for the project too. Absolutely. Um, and then you and uh, and Rachel, of course, uh, your primary focus is the REST API. Um, but both of you all have also been involved in a lot of other things. I mean, yeah. So to be honest, I um, I mean, Ryan obviously had commit access recently as well to handle some of the API stuff. But I'd say for the three of us, it's not um, we're not exactly one trick ponies in terms of WordPress core. Like um, mm-hmm. Rachel's the comment uh, comment component maintainer, for right. example. Ryan has touched a lot of areas of core. Mm-hmm. I've always been quite um, interested in the you know query internals and, and internal APIs for a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, so, I, I you know, it, it's very early days, but I would um, expect that if, if um, e- either the three of us want to, then we'll be able to extend beyond the API if uh, there's motivation for that. But typically, yeah, I, I think the, um, if when, when, once you're added in this capacity, it's kind of a work on the core component that you're interested in that will be kind of reassessed as time goes on and you kind of broaden uh, your scope a little bit to what what uh, you'll be you know more trusted to work on I guess ultimately. do you feel like your own involvement is going to change at all now that you have commit I think I feel like I have to make a conscious decision one way or the other um, if I carry on what I'm doing now which is you know some stuff to the uh, rest API and to be honest I we're not writing a huge amount of code there so I don't actually anticipate a huge amount of committing if I do that, then I would imagine once the core is in, then it would make sense for me to not have commit anymore. Um, so if, if I kind of carry on doing that, then th- th- that's obviously fine. But I, I kind of feel like I have the choice to get more involved um, with other areas, more time, uh, a, a more active role, which is to some degree why, you know, I'm, I'm sure we, the seven new people are given commit is, is to... Um, encourage that behavior and see if that can grow. Um, I just am in the position where I would need to make a conscious decision because I, I, I need to like pull time from other things if I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I guess I'll be kind of thinking about that. Yeah. So Matt featured uh, a handful of projects that he thought were interesting and uh, kind of showed what WordPress has uh, been up to as far as its uh, journey towards becoming more of an application platform over the past year, which is a prediction that it, or a challenge almost that he made uh, in a previous state of the word. Yeah. Um, he featured nomadbase.io, which is a project that uh, you worked on with HumanMade and uh, that uses version two of the API. He featured storycore.me, uh, which is a mobile app uh, integration between the REST API and a web interface to allow mm-hmm. people to upload interviews. And then Microsoft Dynamics, something or Some, another. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think maybe we're not the only ones in not understanding what that was. <laughs> yeah. But it's something between uh, inter- interacting between a web interface and uh, some piece of Microsoft software that WebDev Studio has built. Um, mm-hmm. And those were all pretty cool. Uh, however, there's uh, another project that has that Matt talked about and it's got a you know I've covered it a good bit in the past couple of weeks and it's definitely been kind of an underlying conversation at this WordCamp which was the Calypso project which was uh, 
uh, something that Automatic did that's the brand new WordPress.com editor. And um, also there's a wrapper around it for a native uh, Mac app. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what I mean, what's kind of your, your take on right the way people are perceiving calypso and, yeah and what it's, that means. it's um it's a little different to uh what, what i kind of thought i guess the moment that they open sourced it that kind of changed you know this changes everything kind mm-hmm. of thing um because before that it was it was an interesting uh project and yeah in, something in, cool automatic did right not right something e- that exactly when they open sourced it i didn't actually think that it was going to be um picked up on the wordpress.org core side of things so mm-hmm. heavily um i don't know you know maybe there there's a huge amount of, of interest there i know that matt was very um passionate about it and and that energy as well would, would have helped with that um i mean i i think it's a great thing that clearly the wordpress ecosystem is interested in this kind of thing and that is a great use case for that um in terms of um, I, I think we're a little early to be saying, you know, Calypso and Core or anything like that. But, yeah. but, but it sparked conversations around what Core could do to, um, you know, follow, follow suit or, or utilize or take, some of the same tools. Right. Exactly. At least having something that we can now compare to to say WordPress.com has done something. You know, they, they've been able to iterate very quickly and build very smooth interfaces for building this way. Uh, then that's something that, that WordPress Core can look at. That's my kind of current feel is is that we can learn a lot from there but um calypso the product or the project itself i would probably you know i mean i'm totally kind of guessing here but would presume to be a a uh, automatic product going forward with but with the ability for calypso to communicate directly with wordpress sites so the desktop could be a a desktop client for wordpress and people would therefore the, the the wider WordPress ecosystem would be able to contribute back to Calypso and would be motivated to do so. Yeah, I think it may be in the sense of like uh, a number of different apps kind of share some of the code base that Automatic started uh, through Calypso. But I mean, I don't I don't really see much of a future for Calypso as a broader WordPress.org client, other than being. Uh, Jetpack integrated. So, so, so the the reason that I do think that it'll be that, which um, you know, probably privy to to the future of the, of, of the API <laughs> stuff than, than you perhaps, um, is there is going to be a concerted effort to unify the WordPress.com and WordPress.org APIs. Yeah, and I actually got to sit next to you and Matt as uh, y'all <laughs> met for the first time and then continued yeah, to true. have a, a really compel- uh, interesting conversation about how something like that can happen, bringing the WordPress.com uh, REST API and the WordPress.org um, REST API to have some better parity and basically to be uh, singular in the sense of the way uh, other applications and services interact with it, and why right. is that important? Because I mean, I, I guess it, Matt was saying like there's a lot of services, big services that are using the REST API for WordPress.com. Um, yeah, why I mean, is it why is it important? So I, I think it's it's important from um, via necessity of the confusion around these two projects. Yeah. Uh, so you know, like that or not, that's kind of the the hand that will dealt. Um, in in terms of, to, to be honest, I'm not totally sure on the like people have already built stuff for WordPress.com because 
uh, th those are going to have to change anyway because the WordPress.com API is going to change significantly with a new version probably mm -hmm. uh, for, for this bringing the, the two in line. Um, but I, I think from a perception point of view, to be able to say the WordPress API and not have to create any distinction between the two is good. Um, there is obviously a good amount of features on WordPress.com where they'll have their own API endpoints for. Sure, like but, stats and readers. Right, but hopefully that can use uh, similar feature discovery that we're encouraging plugins to use for the WordPress core API. So when you have a client that wants to add some special use cases for WordPress SEO, can hopefully use the same mechanism to And get itself into Calypso. Right. Okay, cool. Uh, so to follow back on, on well, to follow back through on Calypso, Matt did say uh, in regards to the future of JavaScript um, and, and APIs in WordPress, he said that I believe the JavaScript and API-driven interfaces are the future, but fortunately he qualified that uh, by saying, though PHP is not going anywhere, because PHP is still what's uh, creating these, inter these You're right, right. PHP is still the business logic of the application, right? So all of the database stuff, like the WordPress backend. all these mullet jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't follow along with all of those, I'll be honest. But <laughs> business in the front, party in the back? You never heard that? that? That's not a term I'm familiar with. It's not a UK thing? I guess not. It's where you like look totally normal from your hair on the front, oh, and, and then, then you, you have, have really long hair in the back, but okay. you don't know it until you turn around. Uh, right, so that it, where, it makes sense. That's where the sense. mullet wig came from. So when you're head on, it's all business. Yeah. Right. Nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so there, there has been, you know, no talk or suggestion of JavaScript on the back end. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, say, saying, I, I would be more akin to say WordPress is moving from HTML templates to JavaScript. Maybe that is a better way to put it. Yeah, I think that makes um, sense. Like we're, we're the the PHP that exists currently to render the backend is not any PHP that you want to preserve. Yeah, that is not a pretty place. <laughs> uh, Matt also talked about some launches just in this past week that uh, affect WordPress, and those were PHP seven, and then also uh, going SSL with Let's Encrypt and the what that what that means to WordPress. Um, so what does that mean? Yeah. Um, personally, I think there's a, there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of good hype around Let's Encrypt, um, but I don't think that you know I, I think that's actually just going to kind of like spark a wave of uh, using SSL, but maybe not directly Let's Encrypt. Um, but I, I think that uh, it was great to see that um, encryption was a part of the state of the word. I think that's hopefully somewhere where WordPress can really drive forward. I think that's an incredibly valuable thing for the web anyway. Um, and WordPress kind of has the chance to lead the way here. Uh, the internet as a whole is, you know, being incredibly slowing to adopt SSL mm -hmm. uh, or, or TLS. Uh, so... Um, Does that bother you, the SSL versus TLS? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm sure it bothers someone though, so that's why I, yeah. <laughs> that's why I try to be correct. <laughs> Uh, and another thing too is, I mean, as there's better and broader adoption of uh, HTTPS and websites, that's big for uh, enabling HTTP two support. Right, right. It's a um, it's a required component. I think we are probably getting ahead of ourselves. Like not not me and you, but but by you know pushing HTTP two, I think. Um, I mean, maybe we can use excitement around HTTP 2 to push um, HTTPS. Like, maybe that, mm -hmm. that, that is valid. Um, the speed improvements that 
improvements that come with HP2 is, is a great carrot, just like PHP 7. It's going to be a great carrot for people to actually bother to upgrade, whereas you know previous versions of PHP didn't quite have that that strong um, uh, st- strong reason. So so maybe uh, HP can do HP2 can do that, but it, it is very early for HP2 on the web anyway. Um, so I, I would I'd imagine that to be a consistent theme, you know, running over the next few years in terms of let's be getting on board with HTTP2. HPS is something that just needs to happen now, and we should kind of move ahead with we that. We have Mockingjay whistlers in the background. <laughs> uh, yeah, and along the lines of uh, uh, speed, PHP 7 just launched, and uh, Matt called it the most significant version of PHP that has shipped since the start of WordPress. Um, I wonder if he was just basing that off of version number jump alone. <laughs> yeah, just to go straight, uh, skip six, go to seven. Yeah, we didn't want that confusion with all the all the books out, PHP right, six that you right. now own. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's a lot of useless reading that went on there. Yeah, so that's that's cool, and it's great for uh, the PHP community that um, that they got that out. And of course, uh, WordPress is already passing unit tests through PHP seven. Yeah, PHP seven is is super. Exciting! Like there, there's a huge amount right now which is moving, uh, you know, very quickly and, and um, uh, quite quite exciting. And walking by us right now is actually someone from GoDaddy, uh, so I imagine that he can tell us this announcement that all GoDaddy sites are going to be on PHP seven like within the next like month or two. He he is refusing to comment <laughs> for the record. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so PHP seven super fun interesting like the the API HTTPS all the JavaScript, potentially React stuff, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a, a, a lot um, improving right now. Um, PHP 7 is a big part of that. Uh, practically speaking, it's going to be a while. PHP extension support isn't there yet. Sure. Um, Image Magic, I think, isn't there yet. Memcached is in beta. Um, so, uh, and typically for, you know, I, I know that there's a general thought that Wait for um, you know the dot one release after PHP has a major upgrade as well. Um, so there, there's you know a little bit of time, but we're really kind of you know uh, getting up to it now. We're going to start seeing the benefits of the speed improvements. The the biggest thing that I kind of hadn't um, just kind of tied together is I've been battling with a while about WordPress becoming more API driven, but also WordPress really sucking as an API or real any any kind of fast API, I guess. As a web guess. service. Right, as, as, as a microservice, it doesn't function well because it's monolithic. Um, and, and that's Can you kind explain of, what that means? So, yeah, typically what you want from an API is um, when, when you, you want your API to be fast, right? Uh, so let's say, for whatever reason, you decide to have something quite real-time running through your API, like maybe you've got a chat app or something. Um, or, or, or WordPress some, is a chat app. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Or, or something like real-time edit, uh, edit a collaboration. Uh, you know, those, those kind of features, you want your APIs to be fast. Um, but WordPress is the model of like your API request spins up the whole of WordPress, includes all of your plugins, runs all of the hooks that it does, you know, developers. Not to mention the uh, SQL queries that could sometimes Right, happen. exactly. So so even if you're running, if, if you're running a sizable code base um, and you have all of the good strategies around uh, persistent object caching and things like that it's still not um, great 
you know, look at the WordPress.com API that has some of the best infrastructure in the world behind it isn't fast mm-hmm. you know, at all. Um, but PHP 7 is going to at least, I would say, cut that in half. I would actually expect it to be more than that for API requests because the, the, uh, the, there's a lot of that time which is done in PHP execution. Uh, so I think that, that um, the doc, uh, sorry, PHP 7 is, is going to really improve WordPress's future as an API provider. And also with uh, now with infrastructure in and uh, the syntax that's there and the ability to do things as people uh, do some of this stuff and oftentimes maybe they may be doing something that's not done in the most performant way that it could be, a lot of these uh, slow areas and bottlenecks can be worked on and iterated upon. Right, exactly. Um, I mean, hopefully when everything else is quite fast, when developers do things to slow things down, Mm -hmm. it becomes more apparent as well. Um, obviously, you know, PHP only, PHP 7 is only in, increasing the PHP processing time. So sure. if you enable PHP 7 and your site is 5% faster, you probably have problems, you know, that you can look to, like your database and things like that, where you're likely to be doing things badly. Yeah, like meta queries. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Matt spent some time on uh, language stuff and translations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, language packs for core have been in WordPress since 3.7, um, but there are now language packs available for all themes and plugins. And one of the announcements he made was uh, a effort to actually get complete language coverage, which is like, I don't know, 100 plus languages that WordPress supports uh, for the top 100 or so plugins and themes. Um, so, I mean, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, that's a tough task, but I think it's a valiant effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, like, 100 plugins and themes is absolutely nothing. So that's how difficult this whole problem is. But you may be covering 80% of the primary plugins that people are using. Right, right. You, you, you probably are, but you're probably not covering somebody having a WordPress completely in their language. Yeah. Um, so even if you have one or two plugins and you're you're not bilingual with English, mm-hmm. then you're you're it's kind of a problem. Right, <laughs> right, right. Like ev- ev- everybody can now install WordPress, SEO, Jetpack, and you know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But but for, for those kind of niche things that makes WordPress so valuable, right? Is is there is this huge plethora of of um, crazy plugins that do everything under the sun. Um, I wish that translation were able to be solved automatically because it is such a huge task of man hours uh, to be, let, let alone doing initial translations, also string updating. Yeah, it'll certainly know, impact, it, I think, plugin uh, developers' choice of, of verbiage in their, in their plugins. Right, right, and, being consistent with verbiage. And when you and update, things. if you just change a bunch of strings, right. that it, you're creating this enormous burden for, uh, for people that are using it. Right, right. Um, so in, in, term, it, in terms of that 100, I think that it's great. I know that even doing that is going to be really tough for the teams involved. Um, but I, I think it's a theme a little like, uh, you know, it, it's, I mean, part of accessibility, but we, but we don't usually put it in the same bucket as, as kind of technical accessibility via impairment or whatever. Um, but it, it's part of the same strain. It's something that we should always be pushing forward and always being people, people aware of to, to strive to um, be you know, usable by everybody. Yeah, and you know, on the note of translations as well, um, there's a full glot press and install. If people want to get involved, you can go to translate.wordpress.org and see a pretty advanced interface for, for doing that. 
Um, however, there still are challenges with things like commercial plugins, which aren't supported through the WordPress.org setup, or if people just download their plugins from GitHub and things like that. Um, so there still are some some challenges for uh, internationalization. Right, I think there'll there'll probably always be some challenges, or, or not not to but, kind of just give up on the problem. This is a pretty big step forward, though. Right, exactly. Like I I, I wouldn't want to undermine the progress that has been made uh, by the translate.wordpress.org uh, improvements and everything. Um, we've you know come a huge way, and uh, it's going to be incredibly valuable to a lot of people. Yeah, uh, and then uh, not too much of an announcement, I guess, but uh, Matt also announced that WordCamp US uh, for next year is going to be still in Philadelphia and around the same time, I think, December 2nd. Right, yeah. I th I, from what I gather, the kind of, or, or, or one um, model is going to be to do the WordCamp US. Twice uh, in each city. Yeah, twice in each city to reduce the amount of um, organization, you know, every year, because this has been a, a crazy huge event. We've had, you know, I've, I mean, a the, the core team here have been in New York for two days. Then they came here for the summit, community summit for two days. Then two days of WordCamps. Then one day of uh, the one today, Contribute yeah. Day. So it's a so lot. It, it's a huge event. Like, obviously, different people sometimes in, involved at different stages. But um, it, it's crazy, really, you know, the amount of organization that has to go into all of this. Yeah. And, yeah, that's pretty similar to the model of, of WordCamp Europe as well, which rotates city to city every year, except they don't do two in, in, in each city. Um, but yeah, that's how WordCamp US is going to operate, two in each, ci two in each city and then rotate uh, from city to city. Um, yeah, and, and the budget for this place is huge. I mean, we had, I think he said, 1,801 tickets were sold, and there was like a half a million dollar bu uh, budget for this Yeah, event. yeah. Um so it's pretty amazing. It, 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 I think it's kind of shown, you know, uh, it, it's been um, yeah. super high quality, everything, you know, just, I, w I was even looking at, you know, say the word yesterday, how uh, professional how, everything looked. How grown up it was. <laughs> right, right, almost, yeah, like, you know, we've now got people on. Um, City councilman introducing right, <laughs> Matt right. Mullenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Mullenberg. Um, uh, so that, that's uh, a... a indication of, of WordPress becoming more mature, I guess. Like, I, I don't think it wants to become a, uh, you know, totally kind of commercialized, soulless event, and it still has a good, a, a, a very good amount of, um, uh, you know, in individuality, yeah, individuality to it, I guess. Um, but it was just interesting, yeah, state of the word, all how all the signage and you know, uh, transcriptions and everything like that. Um, the I, I don't know the specific term for it was somebody doing sign language at the front. Yeah, uh, it's the, that's the first time I've seen that uh, at, at a WordCamp. That was great. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that could be requested for WordCamps based on uh, okay. when people purchase tickets. But um, doing it for every session, having captions, having uh, an interpreter. Yeah, the, um, to be honest, the captions have been super useful to me. If I miss oh, yeah. a word or something, yeah, then even having them there, and I think that um, you know, as a wider accessibility point then you know that, that's a great example of accessibility isn't just for uh people that are that are you know permanently impaired or, or, or what have you it can be useful to everybody hopefully that can kind of drive the uh you know, adoption of, of those things and another thing that i thought was really cool about this event was um around sponsors because uh sponsorship in WordCamps is actually kind of a challenge um because there's a lot of restrictions that mm -hmm. are necessarily on 
uh, sponsorships. Yeah, I, I would imagine and if you were to compare it to other industries or you know these oh, yeah, kind of events, then sponsors are way more limited. Than right, right, camp exactly. Or, uh, other events, but here one uh, great thing that happened was the hallway track and the coffee and all that kind of stuff was basically in the middle of this huge hallway that we're actually in right now, uh, which is where all the sponsors were. So the sponsor area was kind of the central gathering. And I thought that was important because uh, for WordCamp US at least, um, the sponsor budgets for the premier sponsors are humongous. I think yeah. it's you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Oh, I think, yeah. I it's think, like 50 grand or something like that. I think it might be more than that. I think it's 275 grand for the top, for the top four sponsors. For the top four, so yeah, what that makes. Yeah, so we might as well give them a shout yeah. out. It was because uh, they, yeah, they who, paid for I, it. I was even do it. It was, it was uh, Jetpack, Woo Theme, so that's automatic. Security. I hope I'm not going to get one wrong now because I'm going to give them a shout out when they, and I, they uh, didn't. And <laughs> <laughs> Is, I, um, I wrote them down, but um, I'm forgetting the fourth one. That's bad. No, it's Bluehost. Oh, uh, so course. Jetpack, Woo Themes, Bluehost. I, I, I don't feel guilty for security. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, they gave, uh, they donated more than two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, which is just a ton of money. And there were also a lot of other sponsors too. Um, but yeah, you know, the, I, the sponsor, um, the sponsorship has been great, just in terms of the hall here and how friendly everything has been you know you yeah. have like two hosts with stands next to each other and it, chatting and you know yeah and it um, seems small but it, i think it's important because it's great when you can deliver value to companies that want to support want to sponsor but they also want to at least not write it off as a total like here's some cash and you know we don't right, get that much right. out of we, it we don't they, they, they must value with, it because they're all here with stands and booths and yeah and i've recruited sponsors for wordcamp before and it's it's pretty tough sometimes because uh, a lot of times, the only people that you can uh, recruit to do so are people that are that are just doing it out of the goodness of their heart to support the community. Sure. And with this model, you get that, but you also get some extra exposure. And I think that um, would be good for other other word camps to kind of model it this way to uh, offer a little better value. So I think that would that would sure. be cool. Um, as far as other WordCamp US stuff, is there anything that stood out to you? Hmm. Maybe like the post-status party. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's a good quick topic, actually, is the, I, I, I guess, like, I don't want to say like the parties because it's the not. The ancillary events? Is ancillary a word right. that I um, be I mean, it is a word. I don't know that so I we, used we, it in the correct way. Have it Just correct act like I did. At that point. Um, but like every night, uh, you know, th this week then, I think there's probably been, you know, uh, two or three events that I've been to. In, in the evenings and and that would be you know there's a good amount of uh it was the post status party which was good that was a, a really good time and the, these are great places to meet so many people i think i've met more people at this word camp than i have at any other one um, that generally depends on my level of energy and mood for by the time <laughs> it actually gets yeah. to the word camp um but th this has been fantastic you know uh for, for, for all of those extra events and again it kind of um I think this shows the kind of like richness of the community with people, you know, all of these events cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, and a, a lot of the times the For value people going to them as well. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> um, but but there's, there, there's um, a lot of tangential value to the hosts that are putting them on and things. And it's nice to see that that value doesn't have to be direct in terms of they're not, you know, trying to get people to sign up for hosting coming through the door of their party kind of thing. Oh, it's, yeah. it, it's a lot more, they just want to be in the community and seen as a strong force there. Uh, so the, the site ground, uh, one that I went to was fantastic for that GoDaddy as well, post status party. I'm sure. Uh, post status, I, the non-hosting 
uh, yeah. Right. Although Pagely, uh, me and Pagely went halfsies on it. So. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't even realize that. I feel like uh, you, you didn't, you haven't really given him enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the post-status Pagely party, but uh, Treble didn't want uh, To be honest, too much I, I didn't even RSVP, and I just... Yeah, you, you crashed my party, but I said, I said you could come in because, you know, podcast co-host that's okay, <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> uh yeah i mean i think the social activities have been great and there are also a lot of social activities that were uh planned that they don't necessarily require drinking in order right. to socialize and have fun i mean yeah no i'm a big believer in that because yeah. i know that I mean, there's yoga and bowling and you know ping pong and all right. sorts of events right. that people exactly. people could do and and, and think ways that people could uh, get to know each other better where it didn't have to be centered on alcohol, and I thought that was uh, thought that was really good. Definitely, yeah, good theme to um, take further, I think. Yeah, so that's WordCamp US. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, we're actually at the Contributor Day right now, so we're about to go make good use of we're, the second we're half of our day. We're skiving off right now from yeah. uh, doing some real work. <laughs> and uh, if people want to learn more about the state of the word, I'm sure it'll be on WordPress.tv in full uh, soon, and I'll also update my post. Uh, I published a post pretty much as soon as Matt finished, uh, that kind of recapped what he talked about and have some links to some of the things that we've been discussing and the, that Matt mentioned uh, in that post. And I'll put the, the whole video in there as well once it publishes. Good so, stuff. Yeah. Uh, where do people find you and all that good stuff? They, they uh, find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Hoyle. He'll send you some gists. I'll <laughs> <laughs> send some gists. And uh, you can find me at Crogsguard. And if uh, you want to join the Post Status Club, you can do that at poststatus.com slash club. We've had a couple hundred members here, and we passed 500 members while we were at WordCamp US. Wow, so there's been like 40% of them here. That's fantastic. Yeah, probably about 40% of Post Status members. Have you... Met everyone. I met every single one. <laughs> Do you know their names? <laughs> I know a lot of the names. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I've gotten to know people through the post out of Slack or other stuff like that. And, um, you know, a lot of times meeting people in person for the first time, you just kind of connect yep. all these all these little dots from uh, where you know them on the Internet. So it makes it unawkward because you have stuff immediately to talk about and it's been great to get to know some customers and also get some feedback on on what we can be doing better and where we're doing a good job now um, but yeah it was just really awesome to kind of see uh, that whole post little post status community in person so uh, yeah it's been a lot of fun so that's uh that's wordcamp us and we will see y'all next week thanks